Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And remember, follow the Twitter page, Instagram, and now Facebook. We've been on Facebook for a few weeks now, at JTime Sports. It'll pull up all three. You should see the same avatar in all three. It's the Just In Time Sports logo with the black background. So definitely give that a follow, at JTime Sports, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And remember, you can like, rate, and subscribe. Please do that on iTunes and Spotify for the Just In Time Sports Podcast. Now, in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. We'll be touching on the NBA. We'll have some MLB talk, and then we'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. We have an absolutely packed show, a multi-sports show today. We haven't gone NFL heavy just yet. Uh, that's really going to happen truly in a regular season, uh, especially when the NBA completely goes away, basically, uh, when they get to their training camp and stuff like that. We haven't gone pretty exclusive heavy uh, just yet, but definitely we are packed today um nfl game last night thursday night football patriots against the whatever you want to call the philadelphia eagles i'm not sure you want to call them nfl team uh we're going to touch on the nba we're going to talk about baseball we're going to have a best for last we may throw in a wwe snippet here and there who knows because they have SummerSlam uh, in about 24 hours or they have it on saturday so we're going to start with the NFL. We're going to start with the quarterback battle. The entire country is watching uh, the quarterback battle to see who's going to have, who's going to start year two of the post Brady era in New England. Uh, it's Cam Newton, the incumbent starter. He started for the team last year. As we know the up and ups and downs, uh, eight touchdowns, I think eight patent touchdowns, 10 or 11 interceptions. Uh, didn't pass for 2,500 yards, benched a couple of times, COVID, came in late. It was a very up and down year for Cam Newton. And you've got Mac Jones, uh, the guy who threw so well his receiver, got the Heisman uh, Trophy. First true receiver to win, I believe, since Desmond Howard. Um, you've got, he's the most pro-ready, according to guys, uh, according to NFL legends like Shannon Sharp. Uh, his talent is obvious. He has a low ceiling, but he has a high floor. Uh, Mac Jones, I don't think will ever lose you a game, but if he's expecting to carry a bad roster, that's not about to happen either. I feel like he's going to be a guy who, like most NFL quarterbacks, is going to be as good as his surroundings. Uh, you look at a career such as a Andy Dalton, where Andy Dalton, when he was on a good team early in Cincinnati, won 10 games a year, won 50 games those first five years. Um, then when he got lesser talented teams, the wins started going down. It's not a situation where Brady was known forever for doing more with less. Uh, Peyton Manning pretty much would take three guys out of the parking lot. Sometimes it felt like and win with those guys, you know, especially when he went to Denver, not known for winning since John Elway and had them in the Super Bowl year two. I believe they were winning the Super Bowl. So you Aaron Rodgers has been doing it now for years in Green Bay where he's had one receiver sure, but then the rest of them is a bunch of ragtag guys and guys that may or may not start on other teams you know Rodgers is taking them and having MVP level seasons see last year uh, where uh, his tight end uh, Tanyan led the all tight ends in the league in touchdowns I mean so 
if you uh, you look at it where Mac Jones is not that. Now, I do believe there's other guys that could be that. We'll talk about those guys a little later. But Mac Jones has a very high floor and a pretty low ceiling. I don't think he'll ever be much better than what he is now. And it's not a it's not an insult to him because he's a pretty good player. Now, if Mac Jones started all 17 games, I believe he'd be top 20 guy in the NFL. I don't ever think he'll be top 10. <laughs> but he'll he'll never be where you're saying like man quarterbacks are a problem with mac jones uh cam is more even at this age boomer bust cam those first three weeks looked like he was a top seven guy in the nfl you you remember that seattle game you remember that game against buffalo you know where it was like he, his highs were top seven in the league especially that seattle game and then his lows were top 50 you know what i mean he'd probably he'd be a top 10 backup so top 40 in the league and his lows. So it depends on which way the Patriots want to go. Looking at last night though, Cam looked close to that top seven, a lot closer to that top seven. He did that top 40. Eight for nine, a little over 100 uh, passing yards. And, and the one that incompletion was a drop um, and, and the only touchdown thrown by a quarterback uh, last night. The Patriots scored five touchdowns total, the other four rushing. But, uh, the only touchdown thrown by a quarterback. Mac Jones still has not thrown a touchdown in the preseason. If memory serves me correctly, maybe he threw one last week. I don't know. But he did not throw one um, yesterday. And I'm a Patriots fan. I actually feel bad for not remembering that. Um, but he did not throw one yesterday. He could have had a big throw to Nikhil Harry uh, that was dropped. So he's thrown three bombs, um, two of which have been dropped. One he slightly overshot Gunnar Olszewski, who he seems to have a good rapport with. I didn't notice that in the past couple of games, in his first two preseason games, him and Gunnar Olszewski seem to be on the same wavelength. So, I mean, I don't, want, I don't mean to be that person, but Tom Brady did have Wes Welker. He did have Danny Amendola. He did have Julian Edelman, ultimately, that he still calls Jules. Um, and it seems that Cam Newton and Nikhil Harry had a, had a, had a rapport last year, along with, and then especially Cam Newton and Jacoby Myers got really in tune. I seem to be the only guy Cam would trust in big spots. And now he seems to be Mac Jones and Gunnar Olszewski seems to have a similar level of rapport. But back to the quarterback competition specifically, Mac has thrown three bombs in these past two games. They're 0 for 3. Now, two of them weren't his fault. Uh, he overshot Gunner. Uh, the first receiver who tried to catch it, I don't remember his kid guy's name. I don't think he's going to make the roster. But if he did, it'd be low on the depth chart. He dropped it in the end zone. Um, it was a tough catch. He should have grabbed it, though. He got both hands on it. And then the kill Harry as well uh, let one slip through. And he was injured on the play, but he could have should have caught in his ball as well. So Mac Jones' numbers actually be a little better. He should have probably 100 more yards on his passing docket that he doesn't have. Thanks to those two drops. But Cam Newton, and I'm going to say this about all the quarterback battles in a situation like this, um, Cam has to lose the job. In my opinion, there's nothing that Matt can do if Cam plays well to unseat Cam. Right? And now next offseason, all bets are off. Cam, thank you for your service. We appreciate you. Go find a starting job in Washington or wherever. You know, go find a starting job. Mac, you're up. Uh, if Cam plays well, especially go 12 and 5, 11 and 6, getting the playoffs, Mac watches the whole year sort of thing. Uh, Mac Mac will be the starter in New England in 2022. Um, but in 2021, Cam has to lose the job. And so far, he hasn't. Uh, he went 4 for 7 in the first game. 
average they they, they I saw the stat of the average depth of completion was something like 0.7 yards in the air. It was a lot of drag routes, a lot of quick stuff. Uh, no deep sea fishing. This game, it still wasn't deep sea fishing per se, but he was letting them fly. Um, he got in tune with Jacoby Myers early. He was eight for nine uh, passing. Like I said uh, passer in the 151. Uh, I would love to know the average depth of uh, completion this time. It's numbers and when it comes to cam and advanced numbers when it comes to cam only seem to ever come out when they're negative. So I would love to see that stat. Uh, I'm Emmanuel Acho was pretty harsh about that. He wasn't harsh about it, but he made sure he repeated that stat about three or four times in his uh, discussion yesterday on Speak for Yourself um, or recently on Speak for Yourself. I would love to know Cam Newton's average uh, depth of target for last night. I know they have it. I know Pro Football, Focus, Pro Football Focus has everything. They have it. Somebody has it. I would love to know that number. Um, but when in a situation where there's an incumbent and there's a new person, like I spoke about it last week, uh, when it comes to like presidential debates and stuff, the incumbent has a strong advantage because usually that person has to lose it. You know, when you look at the most recent election, when you look at Trump and Biden, Biden didn't necessarily win. People voted against Trump. You know, it wasn't so much as we're voting for Biden. It's, well, we got to get Trump out. So we're going to vote for whoever the other guy is. In this situation, Cam has to lose the trust of Belichick. He has to lose. He has to lose it. He has to throw interceptions. He has to play bad. He has to skip screen and stuff. You know, stuff we were used to. You saw a lot last year especially when he returned from COVID, we're going to have to see that from Cam this year in order for Mac to unseat him. Now, I do believe it won't be a back and forth. I do believe that Belichick won't do what he did last year, where it was Cam will come out in the middle of the third quarter, Brian Hoyer will finish the game, Belichick will right to the podium, Cam will lose a starting quarterback. And then two weeks later, he'd pull him at the start of the fourth quarter, how Hoyer comes in, finish the game, Cam will lose our starting quarterback. I believe that if if Cam gets a job, which I don't see a reason why he wouldn't at this point, if Cam gets the job, um, there won't be and Mac ever into the game. There will be no going back. So if it's week three and I know they play the Bucks week four, but if it's week three and Cam's in the middle of a clunker, following out another clunker. So he has a good week one against the Dolphins and then they have a clunker in week two. And then he's mid clunker week three and Belichick jogs Mac Jones on the field. Cam Newton is done. I don't think I don't think you can pull Mac back off the field. The fan, I don't think the fans will let you, but definitely I don't think he'll be willing to pull his rookie quarterback in and out the same way he's able to pull Cam up, uh, pull a Brian Hoyer in and out. Everyone knew Cam and his worst is better than Brian Hoyer, his best. We can't say that right now uh, about Mac Jones, and so I don't think it'll be a situation where Cam would go in back and forth with Mac, and that's what I think the struggle comes in with Mac Jones starting for Belichick. And that struggle is okay. We know we look look just look at the roster, look at the defense that we've seen from them, look at the roster. This is a playoff caliber roster. Belichick knows that as well as anybody. That that team could be easily second place in the AFC East and get the six and get the six seed. You know, I I mean, you might even get a higher than a six seed. I'm looking at I'm just looking think about the AFC. Two teams may come out of the South, Titans and Colts. Two teams are coming out of the East, Patriots and Bills. 
Out of the AFC West, you might get two teams with Chargers and Chiefs that depend on the Chargers' health. The AFC North may have a lot of teams. You got Pittsburgh, you got Baltimore, you got, I say Cincinnati's got a good shot at the playoffs, but I have Cincinnati getting in as a seventh seed, winning 10 games. And you've got Cleveland, obviously, I expect to win the division. So, battling for a wild card spot is going to be interesting. Buffalo's going to win the East, Chiefs are going to win the West. I have Cleveland winning the North, just the best roster in the conference, I mean, division by far. And then I'd, ha- I'd have the Colts, barring Carson Wentz, doesn't play for a minute, winning the South. But if Carson Wentz misses four games, then the Colts aren't going to make the playoffs. So it, it's, you know, but the Patriots could easily be the sixth seed. They, hell, they can win a division if a couple of breaks go the wrong way for the, for the Bills. That being said, Mac Jones, Jaws on the field, we want to get Miami and gets crushed man brian flores pulls out the playbook he's direct descendant of belichick belichick has never lost the game to a rookie quarterback and he crushes mac jones 27 to 9. i give him late touchdown 27 13. but it was a garbage time touchdown and he jogs on the field week two rinse and repeat they lose 24 10. you can't go to cam you're in a bad spot. You, you can't go to Cam. Because if you go to Cam week three, you know what that means? Oh, bleep. We bleeped up. We picked the wrong quarterback. Or we didn't get aggressive enough to go get the right quarterback. You can't go to Cam. You can't. You just got to let Mac Jones go 5-12. and 12. You cannot... Under any circumstance, go to Cam Newton if you start Mac Jones. You can go to Mac Jones after starting Cam Newton because Mac Jones is the future. If Cam starts one in three, you run Mac Jones on the field and say, Cam, we thank you for your service. We thank you for trying. But it's time for us to move on to the future. Mac Jones comes on the field and plays good football. But if Mac Jones starts one in three, you just got to ride it out because there's no way you can go to Cam. You can't pull Mac off the field. You can't. Because it ruins his confidence. It ruins the faith of the of the fan base, myself included, in him. And in my opinion, it ruins the football. If I'm a player on the team, I'm looking sideways like this. You knew this kid wasn't ready. Why would you run him on this field? We're now one and three and we're fourth place in the division because the Jets stole a win from somebody. Probably us. You know, so. I say Cam goes on the field week one. Now, even if, even, if he, even if I wasn't doing a deep psychoanalysis, I say Cam goes on the field week one. He has an eight for nine, 100 yards, a passer in the 151. That's starter. I, I'm going to be interested in seeing week three if they play. I believe Mac will play. I'm not sure Cam will play. But it'd be interested to see if both of them play and how long they play. Cam played a little bit longer. He played two series, two real series. Um... Three times on the field, but it was after the fumble recovery and then two real series after that. So I'll be interested to see. He's done two series of both games. I'll be interested to see if they treat the third game like the dress rehearsal and push maybe a quarter and a half or even a half time with Cam. Um, you know, he, well, he plays four or five series and really sees, gets a rhythm uh, and gets prepped for week one against Miami. Mac looks like he can play. But remember, his floor was high, his ceiling was low. So it was no anticipation of him looking bad. Um, he even put a couple zip on, he even put a little zip on a couple throws last night. So the anticipation of him looking bad was not a thought process in my mind. But 
the demise of Cam Newton seems to have been greatly exaggerated. And so that is going to be something definitely to look out for. Uh, if if Cam plays week three, I'm sure Bellis is going to play him. Um, if he looks good anywhere close to what he did in week two, he's going to be the starter week one against the Dolphins. I mean, that's pretty much that. So we're definitely going to keep our eye on that situation. Well, well, something we have seen um, in this offseason, this preseason, is the age gap of the coaches coming out. Um, and what I mean by that is it's the preseason strategy. So remember a few years ago at 2019, I believe, Sean McVay was the coach of the Rams. He didn't went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Patriots. They didn't play person in the preseason. They didn't play starter in the preseason. Goff didn't play. Cup didn't play. Woods didn't play. Gurley didn't play. Donald didn't play. I believe they had Robert Quinn. Quinn didn't play. John Johnson didn't play. I'm not sure they had Ramsey, but if he did, he no, they didn't have Ramsey yet. He didn't. No, Ramsey did go. He didn't play. It was, you know, none of their big guys played the whole preseason. Damn, they played like a half. You know, usually they play a the typical rotation. You play a couple series in game one. You play about a quarter, maybe two more series in game two. You play to the half in game three. You don't play in game four. They didn't play a single snap in preseason games. In in that run, they made the Super Bowl. Everyone that looks like Sean McVay, all the young guns have followed that same strategy. Nick Sirianni did not play a soul. Him and his young staff, uh, they played Devontae Smith. He come off injury. They want to get him reps. Hertz was pulled late last minute. They, they didn't play a soul. Uh, no starting offensive lineman. No starting defense even scheduled to play. They didn't play a soul last night. Um, you look at Cliff Kingsbury. Didn't play any of his guys in week one. Obviously, Sean McVay is not doing it. Even with a new quarterback and stuff, they're not doing it because they're looking at joint practices of basically having, if I have two days of joint practices, that's pretty much the game. And that's ones-on-ones. You know, they, they the guys have to practice. That's ones-on-ones. Uh, it's no chance my quarterback getting hit. My offensive line is a bad day. And like I say, it's one-on-one. It's repetitive. It's certain. It's working on situations. It's getting everything I'd want to get out of the preseason game. I'm getting it in the joint practices with no chance of my quarterback getting hurt. The young coaches now are looking at that as a more of an ideal situation. On the other side of the spectrum, Bill Belichick played Cam Mack and the rest of the starters. Even when the Eagles, even when he realized the Eagles weren't playing anybody, he still played Cam Mack and the rest of the starters. Andy Reid still played Patrick Mahomes. Bruce Arians still played Tom Brady. Mike Tomlin still played Ben Roethlisberger. Um, so it's 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 funny. Sean Payton still ran his starters. So it's funny. The young guys, pretty much led by Sean McVay, um, in terms of what how they move, they move pretty much how Sean moves. The young guys followed Sean McVay and didn't play anybody. The older guys traditionally followed Bill Belichick and played everybody. Uh, so it's interesting to see the age gap and how different they are. I mean, you know, that Eagles young staff, they have, um, look at that, our youth, the Eagles staff, the head coach is 40. Both coordinators are 36, 37, somewhere in there. And then the special teams coach, I think he's 29 or something like that. So he's going to, I think it's 29 or 30. Like it's, it's something he was playing college ball in 2012. I think he's like, I think he's like 29 or something insane like that. Uh, the special teams coordinator. So that era of the movement has decided to treat the preseason. Just the games are a waste. We're just going to join practice and do it that way. The older generation has decided that 
we are going to play our guys in the preseason. Now, it's interesting to see how teams are treating the one less game because with one less game, you know, it's like I talked about the traditional strategy earlier, which is the first one you play a couple of series, the second game you play a little past the first quarter, the third game is dress rehearsal, you play the whole half, the fourth game you didn't play at all. Uh, your, your main guys, you didn't play at all because you still had 75 people on your uh, team instead of the 53, so you didn't play anybody in that game for, and you went and got ready for week one. With they took the fourth game away, so there's no fourth game. There's no there's there's two weeks now between week uh, three of the preseason, spending last season game, and week one of the regular season. There's two week gap instead of one week or no week gap really. Um, and so now they are taking advantage, and so now taking advantage of the extra week, and you don't know how teams gonna play it. You don't know what teams are gonna treat week three still as a dress rehearsal. You still got two weeks to recover. Or are they going to treat week two as a dress rehearsal and then rest week three and the two weeks? So it's interesting to see how teams are going to handle that. Um, that is very uh, interesting to look at um, how teams are treating this week. Because it's probably going to take teams a couple of years, maybe three years to get a norm. For instance, nobody, people thought Sean McVay was insane for not playing anybody, for not playing any starters. He goes out and makes a Super Bowl. Nobody wants to play starters in the preseason. You know, so it'll take one coach getting having success doing it a certain way for other coaches to eventually follow that path. Now, we're going to shift, stay in the NFL, but we're going to shift to some reactions from week one. Just some quick notes on what I saw from the other five quarterback debuts we were really watching. We're going to start off with Trevor Lawrence. I thought he had some good moments. Uh, He showed confidence in the pocket. He got sacked on his very first snap. Uh, that feels like a really bad omen for his career in Jacksonville, but he bounced back, showed some poise. He's guaranteed there as the starter. So this is more of a first time in front of a crowd, first time putting on the real uniform for a game. Um, just getting those first time nervous jitters out. He's fine. He's Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he looked tall. He looked long. He looked angular even in the NFL. So that's a big sign for Jacksonville. That's a good sign for them rather that he looks like he's going to be himself when he arrives in the NFL. So good job for Jacksonville getting that one right. Trey Lance, very up and down. He had the wild throw with the 80-yarder, but then he had some clunkers. And even his coach said that was some ups, that was some downs, and he didn't want it to go perfect because he wanted teaching moments. Um, And so that's what happened. Trey Lance looks like a very talented guy who's only completed 20 passes in the past uh, 590, 600 days. I mean, that's just, he looked like that's what he was, an extremely talented guy with not a lot of experience, especially recently playing the game of football. He has basically played one game. Uh, it was that spring game that we everybody watched when his name was buzzing around the top five pick, possibly, or number one pick, or number two pick, even, uh, possibly. And so that was versus Arkansas Central, I believe that's what they played. Um, everyone watched. He didn't play particularly well, completed about 50% of his passes. Uh, did better running than throwing. A lot of the buzz died. People was like, oh, that's the guy, you know, whatever. His talent's undeniable. His talent, his skills undeniable. That frame, that skill, um, absolutely undeniable in terms of talent. But 
it is going to be something that we're going to have to watch out for in terms of what it translates into in the NFL. But luckily for him, luckily for the 49ers, he does not have to play right away. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is entrenched as a starter there, especially if he stays healthy. He will be entrenched all year. The last time Jimmy G was healthy, he was three yards away or two yards away overthrowing um, Emmanuel Sanders, possibly beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl two years ago. And we're not even having this discussion in San Francisco. But he didn't make the throw, and his bodies failed him before and after. And so if Jimmy G stays healthy, which, again, probably won't happen, um, Lance won't see the field all year. He'll learn in NFL culture, and he'll come in year two ready to roll. What's probably going to happen is Grappa's going to get hurt by the end of September, and we're going to see Trey Lance by week four. But that'll give him some more time to learn, some more time to watch, some more time to really get the NFL routine down before being thrust on the field. The offense is not quarterback reliant. It is very much a run game, run game, play action off the run kind of offense. Um, And so Trey Lance won't be just thrown right into the fire. He'll have the opportunity to learn and to grow, which is something that he's going to desperately need if he's going to succeed at this level. Jordan Love looked good. Jordan Love looked good. He didn't look like a guy that I would say, okay, Aaron Rodgers, bye. We don't need you. We got Jordan Love. He didn't look that great, but he did look very good. He kept himself composed. He kept himself ready. Uh, clearly, he's been watching and learning well. Even when he wasn't dressing out for games, he was definitely paying attention. You can see that. Uh, you can see the arm talent. You can see why people say he's in that Mahomes mold. It's very easy delivery. Very easy throwing the ball. It's not a case when Aaron Rodgers came out. From Cal, they had to completely tear his throwing motion down and build it back up. Jordan Love didn't have to fix anything about that. Maybe a little bit more coordination between the feet and the upper body. So it's not so arm reliant, but it is a very, very easy throw. Very easy motion. Um, He had the beautiful pass up the seam to the tight end. That was great. He had a couple other good balls as well. Uh, But it's a very easy release. And he won't play all year. Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback there. So. He'll get at least one more year to develop. We'll see him for it'll be his year three, uh, really on the field. Justin Fields, uh, in my opinion, had the best debut um, in terms of taking a team because it was ones on ones. Uh, I mean, Cleveland didn't play a lot of their ones, but a couple of them were in there enough to make it a real competition, especially because Fields came in with the twos. Um, he had a rushing touchdown, had to throw in touchdown. The throw in touchdown was scheme over player i mean the tight end was wide open i mean completely busted covered by the browns but the rushing touchdown was spectacular uh fields is what 63 220 and he was the third fastest ball carrier and he wasn't even running full speed but he was the third fastest ball carrier all the preseason week one um he clocked a little over 20 mile an hour and you can tell he was not running anywhere near his fastest so that speaks to his athletic ability on the rushing touchdown which is when he clocked that speed just back step past the defensive lineman. That's something that maybe three other quarterbacks in the league can do. Him, I mean, in that spot, Fields, Kyler, Lamar, cleanly, that might be it. I mean, you may get other guys that like Ben maybe can step back and get grabbed and stay up, or Allen can step back, get grabbed and stay up. But to just slip back that cleanly, get around the edge and go score, that might be the only three guys in the league that can pull that play off that, you know, starters. And so that was great to see. He looked great. Uh, Chicago, you have your future. Congratulations. Um, Kudos to you guys. Zach Wilson was the 
interesting quarterback. It was moments of brilliance. You can see the quick release. You can see, you know, the arm talent that the Jets drooled over. But you can also see he looks really small. He looks incredibly like he he looks small in college. In that NFL Jets uniform, he looked even smaller. I mean, I get Kyler Murray small, and I love Kyler. But Zach Wilson didn't have Kyler's athletic ability. He looked small. So if I'm a Jets fan, I'm a little concerned about that. But the arm talent is clearly there. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. guys and welcome back into the show and now we're gonna jump into the nba and talk about what's going down there so the big thing that happened was kevin durant and draymond green had their much anticipated sit down uh it was just on draymond green's podcast through bleacher report uh they sat down and they said they were going to talk about everything So as advertised, they did just that. They talked about everything. They covered a lot um, in their discussion. They talked about Kevin Durant joining. They talked about Kevin Durant breaking up. They got a little personal in terms of they uh, discussed, you know, why Kevin Durant hadn't had children yet. You know, things of that nature. They they definitely got a little... um, a little personal it got deep they did cover a lot of topics they didn't necessarily shy away from anything um so that was good to see and good to know but the thing that caught a lot of people's eyes and of course the big thing was what why did kevin durant leave with a breakup the interaction all that but why did kevin durant leave a situation with the golden state warriors that Nobody in their right mind thought anybody should ever leave because Golden State's perfect. Um, and ultimately, Kevin, they basically danced around it. Um, you know, most people would say that Kevin was on his way out the door anyway. And the argument with Draymond just c- continued it, just finished it off, I guess. You know, if you're if you're in a situation, if you're in a relationship and you're like, man, I really don't want to be in a relationship anymore. But this person has good qualities, you know, so for Golden State, Kevin Durant didn't want to be there anymore. He needed a new challenge, whatever. And but they were winning. So that's what keeping him there, keeping him engaged, keeping him locked in. And then the fight with Draymond and the proceed fallout after that really ended it. You know, it was at the last the Trotter brought the cameras back like, man, I don't like. You know, you're like I said, you're in a relationship. You're with this young lady or a young man, and he doesn't cook or she doesn't clean or whatever. And then you know, she's like, man, but I really love how we hang out together. And all of a sudden, the hangout started not getting that great, and you're like, all right, that's it. That was that was the last quality. We're done. And so it's pretty much what Kevin Durant was. You know, he he wanted more recognition in the Bay, but it was Steph Curry's team in Steph Curry City. He felt that he should have been universally regarded as the best player over LeBron. But people immediately said, well, you did join an already stacked team. So if you put LeBron in that situation, they'd never lose a game, you know. And then you got, you know, he just never found what he was looking for in Golden State. But they were a good hang and they were winning. And so then they were no longer a good hang. And then they even stopped winning, unfortunately, due to injury. And so Kevin Durant bounced. Um, I didn't like at all them saying that, oh, man, Steve Kerr was going to 
bleep this up, you know, and they're gonna they're gonna bleep it up, you know, they're gonna f it up for the situation. And Kevin Durant saying, "Oh yeah, I feel like they effed it up." No, my guy, no, we're not even about to do that. You're not even about to sit here and blame people outside of the incident for what happened after the incident. I'm sorry, me and my, I can't have an argument with my friend and then say, well, our, the rest of our friend group didn't step in right. No, it is the situation between me and my friend. I can't have an argument or you can have an argument with your sister and then blame your parents because your parents didn't step in right to fix it. Like, no, fix the problem with your sister. You know what I'm saying? It's like, or in that case, your brother, you know, Kevin Durant, Kay and Dre, as they were calling each other. Um, Kay, you know, Draymond can't have an issue with Kevin, his brother, and then blame his parents, basically. And Bob Myers, the owner, and uh, Steve Kerr, the coach, for not fixing it. That's not how the situation works, right? And so... I wasn't with that at all. And then when they, first when they compared it to Scottie Pippen not going in the game when the play was John for Coach, and the East, and they said, man, the team came up and said, no, this was messed up. Da, 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 da. You didn't get a Phil coming in. You didn't get a Jerry Krause coming in or Jerry Reinsdorf coming in. The team handled it. Okay. If the team handled it and you felt like that was missing, your problem's not with Steve Kerr. Because like you said, Steve Kerr wasn't in it. Your problem's not with, or in that case, Phil Jackson. Your problem's not with Jerry Reinsdorf or Jerry Krause, or in this case, Bob Myers. Your problem's with Steph Curry. Your problem's with Klay Thompson. Your problem's with uh, Andre Godala, I think was on the team. You know, that that's who your problem's with. Because think about it, Bill Cartwright went up to Scottie Pippen and Steve, I don't Steve Curry was there yet, but the rest of that team, the teammates, went up to Scotty and said, man, that wasn't cool. You're our leader now. We depend on you. So what the play wasn't called for you? A, the shot went in. So you look like a doofus. And B, you're supposed to be on the floor team over me no matter what. Right? Why was there no accountability towards Steph Curry? Steph Curry has long been considered the face of the Golden State Warriors. He is the face of the franchise. He's going to go down to, you know, when you think of players' names, that's the first name you think of. When you think, when you think of every player in the Boston Celtics history, the first name you think of is Larry Bird. The first Orlando Magic you think of is probably Dwight Howard now. It used to be Shaq, probably Dwight Howard. The first Cleveland Cavalier you think of is LeBron James. The first Chicago Bull you think of, you think of Michael Jordan. The first, you know... Golden State Warrior, you're going to think of probably for perpetuity, is Steph Curry. So if you're two of your four best players are having a disagreement, probably KD's better than Steph, and then Draymond probably the fourth out of the four, don't blame the coach for not stepping in, right? Don't blame the owner for not stepping in, right? The owner and the coach tried to show Kevin Durant, look, we got your back. If someone comes at you, regardless, we got your back. Spend Draymond for a game. He comes back, whatever. It's over. Where was the player accountability for Steph Curry? That's where I think the problem lies. If you're going to compare it to Scottie Pippen and saying how the player stepped up, but yet your management team stepped in, why didn't Steph Curry call both of y'all that night and say, what the bleep is going on? Let's fix this. Or then the next morning when Bob Myers and Steve Curry came to you, Steph should have met you in the parking lot. Like, no, before you even go in that building, we're going to figure this out. You know, something or you two, Kay and Dre, call each other that night and say let's figure it out we don't know when they got over it we don't 
because it was it was kind of on eggshells the rest of the year. We don't know when they got over. We don't know. They could have talked about it on the damn Olympic plane and finally hashed it out. We don't know. But it's a situation where you put the blame on Kerr and you put the blame on Kerr and Bob Myers, and it's like that's not how that works. Siblings, sibling problems never get fixed when the parents step in. Because guess what they're gonna do? While the parents are talking, they're hitting each other behind the parents' back. It gets fixed when the siblings decide to fix it. So blaming Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, I thought was weak by both of them. It gave, it was the best way to not blame either one of them. It was, it was the best way for Draymond not to say, "Oh, Kevin, it was your fault," because da 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 da, or Kevin being like, "Oh no, Dre, it was your fault because of whatever." And it was the best way to not blame a Steph Curry and not blame a Kay Thompson, who should have been the one to step up. Push it on Bob Myers and Steve Kerr. Push it on them. They messed it up. They got in the way. Messed it up. Blame them. It's perfect. It's an easy way to out for everybody. It's, it's BS, but it was an easy way to out everybody, you know? And so I thought it was a complete load of crap. A lot of people I've heard this week thought it was a complete load of crap. Um, it was it was very placatey in terms of, oh, we're just going to placate the media and say, that's what happened. It's crap. It's BS. And they know it's crap. Um, other than that, the interview was good. I mean, it was a good interview to even hear them talk to each other because it's something we never thought would happen. And uh, it was kind of precursored in the Olympics when Kay and Dre were hanging out the most. I'm going to call them KD from now on because Kay and Dre is just weird. But when KD and Draymond Green were hanging out the most, you saw them. They would seem to be the two closest people. I mean, they had the longest connection. They had that three-year run when uh, Kevin Durant was in Golden State. But after it ended with the argument with him leaving them high and dry, um... I figured that wouldn't be a thing anymore, but you know, obviously they've gotten through their problems. Maybe they worked out a story before the show taped. I don't know, but they definitely um, spoke about the incident and kind of pushed it off on Bob Myers and Steve Kerr's being the reason they broke up. I again, I think it's a load of BS, um, but I could be wrong. I just doubt it, but I could be wrong. Um, I don't think. The parents and quote unquote the parents should have to fix the siblings' problems or should be blamed when the siblings don't fix their own crap. Um, so that's just my opinion on it. Um, uh, but other than that, it was a good interview. So I'm, I'm glad we got to see the sit down. It's something that I hope other disgruntled people do. I hope we get a Kyrie and LeBron sit down on the shop or you know, uninterrupted. You know, I, I hope we get other people that have broken up unceremoniously. Um, to sit down. I mean, we got Shaq and Penny. We got Isaiah and Magic. Uh, we you never really got an official Jordan Kobe sit down. I don't. I, if they if they did, I missed it. Um, but you know, I, I hope we get these guys to sit down and talk. It could never be for the cameras. I just hope it happens. Because um, life's too short to have problems, and I'm glad Draymond and Katie got through whatever issue they were having. But I didn't like how he pushed it on by Myers Steve Kerr. That's a load of crap. Uh, the NBA dropped the Christmas schedule. Uh, they dropped the opening days, opening week schedule, national TV schedule, and they dropped the Christmas day schedule. Uh, Brooklyn's going to Milwaukee for Milwaukee's ring ceremony. That's going to be insane. Um, you know, it's you. I mean, they like to have big opening nights. If I'm the NBA champ, I would request somebody easy. But Brooklyn, you know, Kyrie, Katie, and Harden. You, you know Harden and Giannis' situation and. You know, you know how Giannis is throwing shots at guys who bounce around, which all three of those guys have. 
Um, trying to win rings. All three of those guys are doing it. Uh, especially Harden. We know about Harden's situation with Giannis saying that he, you know, oh, I don't have to be skilled if I have a sudden feet to run and dunk. And so when Giannis is getting his championship ring and they're dropping the second banner ever in Milwaukee, James Harden's going to have to watch that. Or at least be in the building. He ain't got to watch. He's going to be in the building. Oh, that's just that's just beautiful, NBA. Good job on that. Um, but that was the big that was the big boom I caught from the opening day. I kind of skip opening weekend until we get right before the season because it's one of those things where Christmas Day is the day. It's the most watched day in the NBA before the conference championship game. So it, it's the it's to be honest the unofficial start of the season. Like yeah, there's the opening week, and unless you're a fan of a team, you probably if you're a casual NBA fan. The start of the season, those first like two, three weeks, we ain't really would watch, and then it's like a doldrum period because of the because of the NFL. The NFL, think about it, NFL has Monday, Thursday, college football has Saturday, NFL has Sunday. So this is Tuesday, Wednesday, or Friday. Pretty much the the NFL is gonna dominate the NBA, and so it kind of disappeared into the ether to like Christmas, and then Christmas Day, it's like a little bit kind of is early midway through the season. Um, and that's when the anticipation really starts riling up. And then all-star break is when the NBA takes over completely because then the NFL will be done and on college football. And then Christmas Day, pretty much you only got a couple weeks off of college football in general. So you get Saturday, even though the NFL plays playoff game on Saturday. But Christmas Day is the unofficial start to the real watching season. And so uh, for the 75th year of the NBA, they released the Christmas Day schedule. Uh, you've got Hawks at Knicks, replay of the first round of the playoffs. Trey Young back in the garden is going to be insane. Uh, you've got Boston at Milwaukee. You know, potential playoff preview. You've got Golden State at Phoenix, potential playoff preview. You know, the whole NBA is waiting on Golden State to get back. This could be their first um, time seeing. This could be the first national, big, big, big national stage once they got their rhythm back with Clay and stuff, etc. Nets at Lakers in Staples. Could be an NBA Finals preview. Um, so that was huge. And then it rounds out with Mavericks at Jazz. So let's play a game. A little quick game. A little quick one. Just, just listen to these names. It's going to be on Christmas. I'm going to go through them in order. Trey Young. Julius Randle, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell. Missing someone? Yes, you are. You're missing two people. You're missing the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, and you're missing the future of the NBA, the future face of the NBA in Zion Williamson. You also have John Morant, but you're missing Zion Williamson and Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is the first MVP, reigning MVP, to not play on Christmas Day in a few years. I think it's over a decade. And Zion Williamson is on a team so bad that they are a team traditionally so bad that they are not on Christmas Day either. Now, the story has been all week since the schedule was announced. It was announced two days ago. The story of the past couple of days have been, oh my God, the Pelicans should be nervous. Zion's camp's going to be furious. And because they don't even have him on Christmas Day, and he's going to leave and he's packing up. First chance to get, he's gone. So what, what should Nikola Jokic feel? He has the damn MVP. And he's not on Christmas. So should Nikola Jokic fit to it? Oh, by the way, uh, 
where's the second place in the MVP voting? Joel freaking Embiid, who just inked a four-year, $198 million Supermax extension with the Sixers. I don't see him on Christmas. Huh, that's that's weird. Where was the media coverage about that? Oh, wait, Dame, Dame Lillard. Dame, where, where's that? Oh, oh, Dame's not on Christmas either? Huh. Ch- Chicago. Man, Chicago had the, the best offseason all year. They're, they're not on Christmas either. John Morant's been in the playoffs. He's not on Christmas either. Look, we get it. Media, we get it. Ever since the ping pong balls bounce in New Orleans and not New York, or New Orleans and not LA, or you know, somewhere where Zion is going to be front and center, national media, 30 games a year because of the team brand plus his. We get it. We understand. I'm a Pelicans fan. So trust me, I understand. I'm, I'm over the moon. Most of the NBA groaned. But the look, he's in New Orleans. He's in New Orleans for another four years, probably at least. Remember you wanted to hurry up and get... Um, Giannis out of Milwaukee, now they're hoisting a title. Look, I understand it's not the media glamour capital of the world of New York. It's not the big, beautiful city of L.A., but New Orleans loves his basketball. Not as much as he loves his football, admittedly, but he loves his basketball. He loves that kid. He's going to be fine in New Orleans. I believe they have the right coach now in Willie Green. I strongly believe that. They're offseason. They lost Lonzo Ball. Yeah, but they brought in Devontae Graham. Look at their numbers. They're pretty close. You also add in an absolute sniper in Trey Murphy. You also bring trade for Jonas Valanciunas. Right? So you, you get rid of Eric Bledsoe's contract. You don't pay Lonzo Ball $80 million. You get your you upgrade at center from Adams to Valanciunas. You bring in a sniper in Trey Murphy. You, you bring back Josh Hart. You keep Nikhil Alexander-Walker. You, you, Kyra Lewis grows up a year. Najee Marshall grows up a year. And per the GM poll, which we'll talk about a little later, per the GM offseason poll and the media poll, New Orleans had the second worst offseason. New Orleans had the worst total offseason in the NBA. The Portland Trailblazers are trying to keep Damian Lillard, and their big signing was who? Tony Snell? Like I don't, I don't, I don't know who Portland signed four players, and I cannot think of any of them right now besides Tony Snell. Tony Snell. And the Pelicans had a worse offseason. Like this media narrative is being created around the Pelicans. They're trying to make Zion leave New Orleans. They will. They would love nothing more than for Zion to get after next season. Okay, so the Pelicans can offer him the big extension this season, the big four-year, or five, basically what Ingram got, because Ingram extension he played, he got extended before last season, and he played on the last year's rookie deal, and then it kicks in this season. So the NBA would love nothing more than for New Orleans to offer Zion the five-year, two hundred million dollar extension, Luca style. $20 million extension, and for Luka to, and for Zion to say, nope, trade me. I want out. I mean, the NBA will love nothing more. And then, of course, who would be the top of the list? You would see it immediately. You would see Knicks are pushing for Zion Williamson. And um, um trying to think of some other big market teams. Yeah, the Knicks would be the, the, the team everybody's clamoring for. The Knicks are trying. And 
this team is trying and that team is trying and Eric New Orleans phone is blowing off the hook trying to get Zion. I'm sorry. To me, Zion's in his second year. Because the first year he was fat, out of shape, and injured. No offense. I'm a huge Pelicans fan, but I can call it like it is. And fat was a little harsh, but he was he was overweight, chunky, and injured. I watched that bubble. He didn't play very hard. Now I also went to a couple games rookie year where off sheer ability he was scoring at will, it felt like. But he was chunky and out of shape and not playing defense. Yeah, that didn't help the team. So, Alvagentry, lame duck coach, gets fired. Not surprising. New GM wants his guy. New leader of basketball operations, David Griffin, wants his guy. Not surprising. Year two, Stan Van Gundy. I didn't love the hire, but it's not like Zion played a bunch of defense then either. The team wasn't very well constructed. They reached on Eric Bledsoe, reached on Steven Adams. You, you, you cut your loss fast, you get rid of Stan Van Gundy, you get rid of Eric Bledsoe, you get rid of Steven Adams. Okay. You know, all right, great. You, you do what you gotta do. You bring in Willie Green, I like Willie Green. You upgrade at center. You upgrade at two guard, because I think Josh Hart started the two. You upgrade at two guard. You lose a little bit at point guard in terms of defense and height, but Devontae Graham shoots about the same as Lonzo, if not a little better off catch and shoot. You keep your bench intact. You actually add a little bit, because you got Trey Murphy now off the bench, a, a two-way guy you didn't have before. You still got Nikhil Alexander-Walkie. You still got Najee Marshall. You still got Kyra Lewis. You still got Billy Hunter Gomez. Jackson Hayes is in some crap right now, but you still got Jackson Hayes. Look, the future of New Orleans is not as bleak as they make it sound, especially if Zion plays well. I don't understand the... I, I Okay, that's a lie. I do understand why you want him out of New Orleans. It's one of the smaller markets in the NBA. I think it's third small or something like that in the NBA. Milwaukee's a pretty small market, too. They have a title because they stuck to the process and built properly. New Orleans is doing the same. Just give it a minute. Just give it a minute. Don't try and rush the star out of there just yet. But in fact, people use the Christmas Day schedule when Damian Lillard's not on Christmas, Kawhi Leonard's not on Christmas, Nikola Jokic, the reigning MVP's not on Christmas, Joel Embiid's not on Christmas. Yeah. That's not paint narratives for one. You're not going to paint for the all. Stop that media. I'm part of the media, but let's not do anything insane. And then the big news that came out, the, the part of that poll I just referenced, talking about the Pelicans are the worst offseason, was the best player was a tie between Kevin Durant with five votes, Giannis with five votes. LeBron did not receive one. The biggest move of the offseason was Kyle Lowry going to the Miami Heat. The worst move of the offseason was DeMar DeRozan to the Bulls and or the Pels total offseason, which again, I believe was complete crap. What did San Antonio do this offseason? You know, see what I'm saying? What did Philly do this offseason to improve? What did Portland do? The most surprising move was Dennis Schroeder to the Boston. So it's just, Dennis Schroeder should have had the worst offseason. Okay? But Dennis Schroeder to the Celtics. Uh, the Lakers and Nets are favorites out of the East and West. LeBron responded to the no vote thing with, oh, I'm super washed. And that just gave me more fuel to the fire. So we're definitely going to see that. A different LeBron this season. Russell Westbrook is saying, man, we got a bunch of old guys that are gonna that are gonna run these young MFers out of the game, and they're gonna run them off the court. Um, so it's gonna be very interesting to watch the Lakers this season. I'm definitely gonna mention you got Anthony Davis, who's hurt all offseason. He's soft, brittle, and let his team down. 
LeBron James now is being dis- tossed to the side of the top of the league. You've got Russell Westbrook who's being doubted and saying hearing all the doubts as well. So they're going to be fueled up and ready to roll. Um, and then a little bit of summer league news. Cam Thomas of the Brooklyn Nets drafted out of LSU. And Davion Mitchell of the Sacramento Kings drafted out of Baylor were voted co-MVPs of summer league. Uh, Cam Thomas scored 27 a game. Uh, Bucket in high school, he owns the Oak Hill. You know, some of the greats came out of Oak Hill. He owns the Oak Hill total career scoring record. He had one of the highest scoring seasons in LSU history. And now he goes to the NBA and drops like the third highest point per game for the summer league. So that is huge for Brooklyn and Davion Mitchell, two-way star. Uh, reminds a lot of people of, of Donovan Mitchell, just what he lacks in Donovan's raw scoring. He makes up for it in defense. And so that's Davion Mitchell's calling card. And so the future is bright for both of those young men, along with other guys. Like I spoke about Trey Murphy, um, you know, that was the all summer first team. All of those guys have very bright futures in the NBA as they all um, play well in the summer league. You know, you got the all summer league first team, Jalen Johnson of Atlanta, Davion Mitchell of Sacramento, Trey Murphy of New Orleans, Peyton Pritchard of Boston, Jalen Smith of Phoenix, Cam Thomas of Brooklyn, Obi Toppin of New York. And then all summer, summer league second team, Kay Cunningham of the Pistons, Luca Garza of the Pistons, Jalen Green of the Rockets, Paul Reed of the Sixers, and Patrick Williams of the Bulls. So the, the league's in good hands. Those guys can all play. And I can't wait for next season. Um, but yeah, it's about to be football time, so I love that too. But up next, we're going to talk about the MLB and what's going down there. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about the MLB and what's happening there, and y'all know the show rule. Whenever we talk about a new sport, we jump into their standings if they are in season, and we're going to start off with the American League. We have, and I'm going to do this like if it was the playoffs, so not best record, not best six records, but if the playoffs were to start today, how would they look? So one seed, we got the Rays, Astros with two. White Sox to three. It's the third best division winner. And then in the wild card, we've got the Yankees, the A's, and the Red Sox. In the National League, we've got the Giants as the one, the Brewers as the two, the Braves as the three, the Dodgers as the four, the Padres as the five, and the Reds as the six. Um, I'm I, I'm talking about talking a little baseball because uh, I'm a Yankees fan, and I was told a couple of months ago that the Yankees were done, that the way they play doesn't work anymore, that you can't just do that and expect to make the playoffs, even win games, be competitive even. You know, that big bat style going for the fence. You know, I was told it didn't work anymore. I was effectively scolded for even thinking it could possibly work. And lo and behold, the Yankees possess the best record since All-Star break. They have charged from five and a half back to First wild card and second in the division. Uh, two games back from the Rays from taking the top spot in the division. And, um, you know, just moseying on, charging behind. Don't mind us. You know, I just wanted to bring that up because I was told, oh, I was told by Red Sox fans too. Oh my God, the Red Sox, we're doing it the right way. We, we're, having, we're having a down year and we're still better than you guys. And then one sweep later, 
uh, that all that noise quieted down. I hadn't heard from Red Sox fan about a week and a half, two weeks. Um, they've disappeared. They're gone. I don't, I don't know what happened to them. Um, they disappeared to the ether. Maybe Boston internet stopped working. I don't know, but I, I see Patriot stuff. Maybe, I don't know. We type in the word Red Sox, it might collapse. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Boston. But I do know that I hadn't heard from a Boston Red Sox fan in a couple of weeks ever since the Yankees have been charging. Um, I'm at, I will admit something. I am open with you guys. I tell you guys my true opinion. It's not. I'm not a guy who's built on narrative, who's built on, you know, television. I'm not one of these podcast hosts that watch TV and then regurgitate the statements. No, I tell you guys my genuine opinion on something. I'm going to be totally clear concise and open with you guys at all-star break i was i looked at the stand and then said i don't know if we're gonna make the playoffs i'm perfectly honest i looked at the standing and said okay we're not gonna win the division and i was it's gonna be a struggle to catch boston i'm just being honest and then we went and got we didn't go get pitching because we blew a few games late with the bullpen um we didn't go get pitching we got more bats and i'm like okay well we're just gonna play you know rugby you know (laughs) and we're gonna play cricket you know, first one to 10 or something like that. You know, we're just going to play a high-scoring style of game. And our bats are going to have to win championships. Not the most traditional strategy. Everybody says pitching wins championships, which is true. Uh, who who has the best staff in the series? That's my team probably going to win. Um, But the Yankees have decided that they're going to try for the best bats to win. Now, the pitching has gotten better. Garrett Cole is coming back. Um, you know, uh, they pulled Aroldis Chapman. Is back as well. Severino is trying to work his way back as well. He hadn't pitched in a couple of years, pretty much. Uh, Tommy John surgeon, things of that nature. But Luis Severino is trying to work his way back. So the pitching is coming back, and they picked up more bats. And now you're looking at they are with well within striking distance of the Tampa Bay Rays from possibly taking the AL East, even after all their early struggles, even after being doomed and sent to the doldrums and being last in the AL at one point and. You know, all the doom and gloom and the Yankees are done. And and as I said earlier about Cam Newton, the story of our demise has been greatly exaggerated. They're fine. They're the Yankees. They're a damn institution. It's like certain things you expect. Death, taxes, and the Yankees being a good at worst. Come on, people. You've got the most money you can do things. Now, the, now the Dodgers have a lot of money. The Dodgers, my God. Um, I mean, what they did, the deadline should be criminal. Um, but when you've got a lot of money and you've got a big brand and you've got the city of New York, things tend to happen for you. And so the Yankees are coming. The Yankees are charging. Don't look now. Don't, you know, forget I said anything. Just ignore us. Just leave us be. We're not even here. Just don't even mention us. We're okay. You know, we're focused on the dumpster fire that is the Mets. Don't even look over here. Don't look in Yankee Stadium. Focus on the Mets, wherever they play. I think it's Shea Stadium. I don't even know. Who cares? City Field, maybe? I don't know. Um, focus on them. Just watch that side of the subway tracks. Don't even look over here. We're not doing anything. We're just playing a little baseball. Playing a little baseball. That's all we're doing. Nothing special. Just playing a little ball. You know, and we're going to be in the playoffs, and we, no one's going to want to see those bats. No one's going to want to see Aaron Judge, Juan Carlos, Stan, and the rest of the crew. No one's going to want to see us. It's okay. We're not even going to make the playoffs. We're just, 
don't worry about us. We're don't worry about us. Just focus on the Mets and that dumpster juice fire they've got going on. That's cesspool. Uh, speaking of the Mets, speaking of the Mets, uh, their owner Steve Cohen has gotten very open with his critique of the team. He tweeted out a few inflammatory statements and. It's just gotten worse in the media lately. Um, he spoke about how when he bought the team, he wanted to win fast. Um, I don't know if he didn't watch what happened with the Brooklyn Nets when uh, Mikhail Prokhorov bought the Nets and tried to win fast, made horrible decisions, and ultimately ended up selling the team because he didn't enjoy the business, was losing money, talent, games. It just was bad. And so now Steve Cohen's bought into the business of sports. He's bought into baseball. What would he say? We're not going to tolerate the losing. We're not going to do everything. We're going to win fast. And so he made moves that ultimately are not working. And now, well, he's complaining about those moves like a spoiled kid not getting what he wants. Here's the ultimate equalizer in sports. It ain't money. It's usually talent and health. For instance, I can pay baseball. I've always said this. Money should win in baseball every time. Why? Because the luxury tax isn't that punitive. It's, it's, it's punitive, but it's not that punitive. I can just buy the best player at every position because they're mutually exclusive. I can have the best first, second baseman, third baseman, shortstop, left fielder, right fielder, center fielder, catcher, and the five best pitchers because none of them affect the other one in terms of... Man, if the ball hit the third base, you're not taking a shot like in basketball. You're not taking a shot away from the shortstop because the third baseman hit, it got hit the third base. You're not taking a catch away from a receiver by throwing it to a tight end because it got hit to the outfield. They're mutually exclusive at bats or at bats. You know, they, they, they have nothing to do with each other for the most part. You can just keep piling on talent. And so the issue then sports arise of you can have all that talent, all that talent. But you're going to cut corners somewhere because you're not going to want to pay $80 million or $150 million in luxury tax. So you're going to cut corners on your relief staff might not be that great. Or you may have no depth. So an injury may ruin you. And the Mets, honestly, are not that good of a team. I mean, they were they were doing fine. And then they started suffering injuries to their pitching staff and stuff like that. And so Steve Cohen's going a little bit off the rails. I don't know what business he thought he bought into, but you bought into the second biggest brand in the city. It's like buying the Angels and then getting mad at the Dodgers. Like, it's just, you did that. Like, Steve Ballmer bought the Clippers and then wants to be the Lakers. Like, it's just not how that works. Like, you bought the second brand. It's not even like a Chargers-Rams situation where, yeah, the Rams have more pedigree than the Chargers, but the Chargers win a Super Bowl or two and the Rams are still the meddling franchise or not quite there yet. The Chargers are going to be the dominant NFL team in L.A. It's like... Hey, coaching UCLA football and then getting mad at USC. Like, it's just certain things are just the natural order of things. And so Steve Cohen's been flying off the handle. I don't know if there's a way to fix it. I don't know if he can fix it. I don't know if it's fixable. I, I really don't. But there something has to be solved in that situation. He's gone a little bit off the rails. Now he's been openly critiquing his team. That's not a way to attract free agents. That's not a way to attract um the top personnel people the top, the top accountants the top anything because you're liable to fly off the handle and tweet something or say something in the media you're in new york they probably the media loves them because he'll talk but in terms of an organizational structure that's not a way to get it done and so we'll see how steve cohen reacts to the rest of the season um 
why I just I don't know. I mean, I think like after the Kumar Rocker situation, they've been going down. Um, he's been going down a path ever since then of not enjoying the situation. It's not like he's not enjoying his investment um, nearly as much as he was when he first bought it. It's like the honeymoon period has died. Um, and so now he's just looking at the fact that he is struggling to get anything he wants done in New York. Um, and so he's flying off the handle. I hope it gets fixed. Kind of. I mean, I'm a Yankees fan. So the Mets being bad, I take no real enjoyment in I kind of chuckle at it, but they don't really, I mean, we're in the AL, they're in the NL. It's sort of thing like, uh, I mean, they can be good. They can be bad. It's kind of funny either way. Um, but you know, Steve Cohen's going a little bit off, so we're going to have to definitely keep an eye on that situation. Uh, the other big news is that Tops is out. You know, Major League Baseball has partnered with Fanatics to do their trading cards, which means Tops is out. Um, it completely destroyed Tops and the, the Tops, the company Tops was in the process of doing a partnership deal, making a merger happen. When Major League Baseball announced that, it completely destroyed the merger. It killed the valuation of Topps. Um, their big thing was MLB trading cards, and now they're no longer in that business. It's Fanatics now. It absolutely destroyed the valuation of Topps. Um, I'm not sure how the company hangs on at its present. I mean, it won't. It can't hang on at its present rate. I'm not sure how it makes money. Uh, that MLB deal was is massive, and now that it's going to Fanatics, I don't know how Top's going to make this work. But like I said, that was humongous news in the trading card business. And then I want to speak about Shohei Otani for a second. This man last night, or I last night two nights ago, knocked his 40th home run of the season while simultaneously pitching eight innings. Uh huh. This dude is amazing. He's doing things that no one has ever done in the history of baseball. He's so good, he's affecting the video game MLB The Show. When he first came in, people clamored that, man, um, Shohei Otani's doing both. Why can't we do both? You know, he's doing um, pitching and hitting. Why can't we do pitching and hitting? You know, why can't we be in the outfield along with... Um, you know, why can't we be in the outfield along with being a pitcher on our days? You know, stuff like that. You know, great, whatever. He uh, he was so good at both that he affected the MLB game, and now they're letting you do both. Shohei Otani this season, through 104 games, he's batting. I'm sorry, my apologies. Through 117 games, he is batting. As of right now, he has 40 home runs, like I just spoke about. He is batting 272, not the greatest, but again, he's a, he's a dual player. He's batting 272. He made an all-star team. He has 40 freaking home runs. Oh, and by the way, he's currently 8-1 on the season in pitching with a 279 ERA. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. He's only allowed eight home runs. He has 120 strikeouts. I mean, this dude, What what's happening right now with Shohei Otani is absolutely spectacular. I wish he was on a better team. He's with freaking Mike Trout and the Angels suck. Um, 
And I wish they he was on a better team. I wish he was a Yankee. Oh my god, I wish he was a Yankee. Remember, I wanted the Yankees to get him so badly um, when he was coming out. I remember that very distinctly. I was like, man, this great two way play out of Japan. Me, oh Yankees, just bag him up, you know. But he came out a year early, went to the Angels. If he'd have waited 12 months, he could have gone anywhere for any amount of money, and I'm sure the Yankees would have overpaid for him at the time, quote unquote, overpay and brought him in. I mean, it's just wow this is what he's doing is insane i don't think we're gonna see anything like this again i mean he is a top 10 pitcher and a top 10 hitter in the league simultaneously um top 10 power hitter in the league top 10 pitcher in the league regardless simultaneously that's insane that's video game-esque i mean up until this mlb the show that wasn't even video game-esque it was impossible in video games what he's doing uh, people want to say Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth has never. Babe Ruth has never done this. Babe Ruth was a good pitcher, and then when he went to hitting, he only pitched one game after that in his life, maybe two. And, but he gets the oh, Babe Ruth was a pitcher in Boston, hitter in New York. Shohei Otani is one of the best pitchers in the league and one of the best hitters in the league right now simultaneously. It is absurd. Um, so he needs to get marketed more. You know, he needs to be on more things. I don't know what they can do. Baseball needs to push this guy to the front, push him, Fernando Tatis, the rest of this young wave to the front. Uh, though Aaron Judge, uh, these guys are ridiculous. And so I hope that, especially Shohei Otani, my God, uh, what he's doing is ridiculous for the Angels. So I hope they push him uh, further and harder. But up next... We're going to talk about our best for last, which is going to be about the Dallas Cowboys episode two on Hard Knocks. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back into the show, into best for last. We're just going to be a talk about the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys, being on Hard Knocks episode, uh, or being on Hard Knocks in their second episode. I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, it was a, I'm a football junkie, so I love when they start talking to the free agents and stuff, like the guy from um, the Ivory Coast. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. But uh, seeing his family and his journey, him behind his mom, they had the war and stuff like that, and his mom, the Civil War. And he was too young when they moved to America. And so cool seeing his family. It was good seeing Dak get upset that he wasn't in workouts. And you see more of Dak uh, progression through his injury. Uh, you got another preseason game action. That's always cool. Um, you know, it was. I mean, the Cowboys are kind of boring. I mean, you, I mean, you got CeeDee Lamb and his progression. You get more Micah Parsons, Lyle Collins, because of his personality a little bit. Um, but the, the, the thing that, the thing that stood out to me was Mike McCarthy for all of the wrong reasons. Oh, you got a, oh, you, you, before I go into that, you got a big thing on a D line coach from Britain. So that was cool seeing the uh, players mess with him by his accent. That was pretty funny, actually. Um, seeing the players mess with him by his accent, but back to Mike McCarthy. So Mike McCarthy stood out for all of the wrong reasons. His motivational speeches couldn't motivate me to get out of the, to get out of a burning bed for my own safety. They don't do anything. It's almost I don't I don't know what they are with the camera off. Like I would love to get a secret recording of him doing one. Maybe they're better. Maybe he's trying to play it up for the camera and failing. I don't know. They're bad. 
They're bad. They're like really bad. Like they make me not excited for the part of the episode. Like I don't. No wonder Dallas can't do anything. They're unmotivated. My God. Um. I just you can tell when he knows there the speech is not really landing because then he starts cursing and trying to get you know more energy that way. It's not good. They're bad. They're really bad. They're so bad. I I don't understand. I, I honestly I respect Aaron Rodgers more the more I hear about McCarthy talk because I'm like good God he carried that to a Super Bowl. I mean. I mean, Mike McCarthy has his great reputation, but without Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, it ain't been going well. Now, he lost Dak Prescott, too, so I can't give you a pass. But it's bad. Like, really? Like, I almost want to, like, write a mail letter. Mail. Physically hard mail letter to One Cowboy Way. And be like, stop letting him talk. Get Dan Quinn to do it. Get the defensive line coach to do it. Get Kellen Moore to do it. Get Jerry to do it. Steven, Jerry Jr., the grandson, anybody but Mike McCarthy. It's bad. I, I, that's it's so bad. They're so bad. But the episode was pretty good. It's the Cowboys. It's always going to do good ratings. Um, I Like I said, I definitely enjoyed the episode. I'm a football junkie. Uh, you guys know that by now. Um, but it was, it was bad. It was horrible. Um, God, it was terrible. Mike McCarthy's speech. Um, but I, I, I'm excited for football season. Hard knocks is always my thing to really get me ramped up. Cause that's an inside depth into someone's training camp. Not just reporters, not just the preseason games. It is an in-depth camera doesn't lie. This is what's happening in the preseason game. They had a fight. You know, remember when we'd heard about the fight between Aaron Donald and Connor Williams? And now we got to see the fight. Um, I think Aaron Donald won. Anytime you drag a man's face through the dirt, you win. Um, and so that was interesting to see as well. I love joint practices. To me, they're better than the games because you get more of, I mean, when they're just working drills, like one-on-ones, seven-on-seven, stuff like that, that's always pretty cool. The scrimmage is good as well. It's not as, It's not the same because you can't hit the quarterback. So I prefer, I prefer the preseason game to the joint practice scrimmage, but that's honestly when you get all your one. So the preseason game, when it's dress rehearsal and it's one v one, that's better than the practice. That's better than the scrimmage game. But if you're not gonna play your ones in the scrimmage, that I mean you're gonna say play your ones in the preseason game. Then obviously the scrimmage is the way to go. That's the best case scenario. Uh, but in terms of competition level, in terms of ratcheting it up, oh, joint practice is great. I love those are the best weeks on Hard Knocks, the joint practice weeks. Those are spectacular. Um, but I I enjoyed the episode. It was a good episode. Like I said, Mike McCarthy, good God. Um, Dallas is in a rough spot with him as a motivator. But hopefully they get that situation. I like seeing Demarcus Lawrence's family. Oh, that was cool. Um, so that was good to see as well. But that is all we have for this week. I'm glad you guys chose to spend a part of your Friday, a part of your weekend with me. Uh, rather, if you listen to it on Saturday or Sunday, whatever. Um, glad you guys spent part of your weekend with me. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Friday. Remember, at JTime Sports, Twitter, IG, and Facebook should all pull up under the same at. Um, and don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.